Yes, indeedy. Welcome to the Upful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. This is episode number 21, and we're coming at you live and direct from the Vibe Junkie Studios in Oakland, California. And we are so happy and grateful that you're tuning in. Enlarge up to the Uphill Life Massive for pushing us up over 4,000 downloads. Enough respect, do. Back at you, Up for Life Podcast, episode number 21. I want to thank all my listeners, all the fans, and all the artists and people behind the scenes that have been a part of this show from day one. As we proudly can say, we just cracked 4,000 downloads. Um, at least that's what Podbean tells me. So, allow me to say thank you and offer a deep bow to everybody out there tuning in and you're hearing Egyptian Secrets uh, the title track from the Adam Deitch Quartet's debut album by the same name Egyptian Secrets dropping next week long awaited album uh, with Adam's uh, sweet jazzier uh, side project with Benny and Zoidus from Lettuce on the Horns plus Will Blades on Hammond B3 Oregon Will is future, probably the next guest on the Upful Life podcast. We dropped in a couple weeks back pretty deep, so I'm looking forward to putting that out. But first, we've got something special on deck for uh, episode 21 right now, and that is my dear friends from the Nth Power, Nikki Glassby and Nick Casarino. Not to mention another dear friend. Mr. Zips himself from Zipper Rescue, Clay McCabe, also an amazing artist and somebody I'd call a dear friend as well. So that's the lineup for today, but before we get to the interviews, we gotta, you know, thank some folks, as I'm wont to do at the beginning of every show. So for episode 21, we're gonna start with a sweet craft cannabis farm called Urbanology, located in Mendocino County, California. Legal cannabis, permitted, also a permaculture-oriented operation. 
I'm talking about a full farm with chickens and hens and vegetables and a lot of beautiful and state-of-the-art craft cannabis grown in a sustainable uh, fashion and implementing really progressive ideas and also ancient traditional concepts. So I wanted to just give, you know, some props to Urbanology as they get off the ground and check them out. A lot of their flaves are populating different dispensaries, uh, namely under the Brother David label. So especially if you check out the Lemonhead by Brother David, that's Urbanology thumb. So I want to thank Urbanology for uh, having me out to their spot and touring their beautiful farm and enjoying some time spent up in beautiful Mendocino County, California. And related to that, I want to just let folks know that the Upful Life podcast will really me uh, will be heading back to Burning Man this year for the first time after a couple year hiatus with some of the folks uh, of the Urbanology Farm and with the amazing Abraxas Dragon, which is a historic and renowned iconic art car from Burning Man, where I've had some really special and life affirming experiences, not just on the art car on the playa, but uh, in other ways in my uh, life in the default world, as they say. Um, so I wanted to show some love to Abraxas, and there'll be plenty of Burning Man content on this show, I imagine, in the aftermath of my return to the playa. And, uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you to Abraxas for inviting us to come hang, and we look forward to it. And if you are so inclined and want to assist this amazing historic art car and family to get back to the playa, these are all independent projects, so they have to be funded. Um, and they have different events and different, uh, avenues for fundraising but one of them is the traditional fundraising campaign on social media some amazing gifts so even if you're not attending the burn but have experienced abraxas or know someone that has and are inclined to uh be philanthropic i implore you to check out abraxas dragon and keep your eyes peeled for urbanology out of mendocino county california Your mama gave you, baby. Sing it, sing it. Oh, let it all hang out. Let the hair out, baby. Thank you. 
indeedy. You're hearing uh, the Neville Brothers from November 26, 1977 at Tipitina's Uptown in New Orleans. Pocky Jam, thanks to my man Randy at the Funk It blog. And the reason I needed to take a time out here is since we last spoke, we lost Papa Funk, Art Neville, patriarch of the Neville Brothers, and co-founder of The Meters and an icon of New Orleans music. New Orleans funk music, godfather, really. Uh, Starts and ends with Mr. Art Neville. Papa Funk was, uh, you know, sadly departed this earthly plane at the end of July and wanted to take a moment just to hear him rip it up on that Hammond B3 and pay tribute to a true architect of this thing of ours, La Cosa Nostra. And uh, I, I personally uh, just wanted to t- let everybody know that, you know, there are a few people who had the impact in pop music uh, that a guy like Art Neville has. Not just in New Orleans, but uh, transcending uh, the great city of New Orleans. So... Uh, First Charles Neville passed away a little over a year ago. Great saxophonist of the Neville Brothers. Papa Funk. So I want to send uh, condolences out to my friend Ian Neville from Dumpster Funk. And of course uh, his uncle Ivan Neville. Who was nephew to Papa Funk Art Neville. And often sat side by side with him playing keyboards for the Neville Brothers through the years. The Uptown Ruler. Cyril Neville who's like my spirit animal. And probably like my favorite New Orleans cat of all time. So condolences to him and his brother Aaron Neville. And, uh, yeah, just pay tribute, pay respect. Always listen to the Neville brothers and the meters and understand that, you know, a lot of what we enjoy today and funky music, not just out of New Orleans, but in general, uh, the foundation was laid by cats like Papa Funk, Art Neville. So... You can check out a little retrospective I wrote about the cosmic connection between uh, the Neville Brothers and the Grateful Dead uh, on Live for Live Music. But in the meantime, I'm just going to let a little bit of Neville Brothers uh, play out, rock out, ride out, and then we'll move into the uh, Nikki Glaspie introduction. You're listening to the Up for Life podcast, episode 21. I'm your host, B. Getz. Rest in power, Papa Funk. Just like Art Neville, uh, another super funky individual is one Ms. Nikki Glaspie. 
I would imagine she uh, would tell you that Art Neville is one of her biggest influences as a musician and probably a human being. I know that uh, they had quite a relationship. So, if anything, the first guest that ought to come on the show after we talk about Art's life should be Darling Nikki. Alright, so this Gap Band song that Nikki and her solo band, The Homies, play, Oops Upside Your Head, um, they crushed it so hard at the Maple Leaf. When I, when I think of Nikki now, I, I kind of think of this tune, just because her and The Homies just absolutely slayed it. And uh, I wanted to put this on as her intro music. So I really don't know where to start with Nikki Glaspie. Uh, she's such a special human and spirit in addition to such an amazing drummer and musician and songwriter and singer but she's a spirit she's an angel and uh i know i'm known for being hyperbolic from time to time but i really don't care in this instance um i have like six more minutes of this song so i'm going to try to do it in that window of time uh Nikki first came on my radar when she was playing drums with Sam Kininger's band. Sam was uh, one of the original members of Lettuce, and he had a side project back in the early 2000s. And they would play up in the Northeast at a bunch of festivals, and uh, I caught them a handful of times. This is long before I was a huge Lettuce fan or anything like that. I just like funky music, and Sam brought the funk, and a big part of that was because Nikki was on the drums. She comes from that uh, Berkeley School of Music lineage of drummers and playing at Wally's and hanging out with Jeff Lockhart and all that. And uh, for the record, I really want to have the career-spanning uh, interview with Nikki, like I do with most of my guests, but it uh, wasn't possible because of the High Sierra schedule. She was playing with like a ton of people, same thing with Casarino. They were both playing with uh, Nth Power twice, Jet Hartswick twice, Super Jams. Uh, Casarino was playing with uh, Manic Focus. Uh, Nikki was playing with Skerrick in his workshop. And therefore, the fact that I got 15 minutes with uh, Nikki and 20 minutes with Casarino uh, is just really a blessing. So I just wanted to say that uh, this is a shorter interview. And I have every intention of doing a career-spanning interview with both uh, Nikki Glaspie and Nick Casarino when uh, the stars align. Um, but I wanted to just uh, give Nikki the opportunity to talk a bit about the music that they're playing at the festival and in general right now uh, with the Nth Power and the uh, Marvin Gaye tribute that they did uh, that we featured on this show earlier. Uh, a few episodes back um, and I wanted to just give Nikki the chance to talk to the people and this is before the uh, latest outbreak of craziness but we we're already in the whole climate of politics that we are now at, at just two months ago so um, it was definitely uh, salient for her to speak on some issues and what the nth powers music is about and and uh, you know, when Nikki came to meet me in the middle of the afternoon, it was like uh, in between sets and she had to sound check and she made an appointment with me to meet her at Dump City Dumplings at High Sierra, which is a great dumpling spot. Shout out to Dump City Dumplings. And, uh, you know, she took me in the back uh, trailer area while the 
rest of the band was milling about, and I got to be honest, I was pretty nervous. Um, not to talk to Nikki. Nikki is one of um, my dear friends. Um, but just nervous because here I was with this little recorder and there's people coming in and out. And one of those people was Jan Hartswick, who I really want to interview bad. And I'd kind of put the feelers out already like, hey, I want to do this. So then she was popping in and out. So I was like, just bugged out. And, you know, I was like, maybe slightly not my 100% on my game self. Uh, just because of all the elements around. But nonetheless, uh, Nikki recognized that and she just sort of put me at ease and she just like, sort of laid it down. Like, And we talked about uh, the messages behind the music and her intention and her work with the Harold Robinson Foundation and how people can get involved and make a difference in their own lives and the lives of others. And I couldn't help while she was talking but think back to, not way back with Sam Kininger, but more recently than that when I was in a dark place when I was incarcerated and Nikki found the time to get on the phone with me and talk with me and uh, and while I was in jail and you know just shot the shit with me but made me feel loved made me feel uh, missed and uh, just gave me something to hold on to um, those nights when I'd be up thinking about stuff and I'll never forget that from her and I will support any and every endeavor that she does musically and otherwise and uh, yeah you know I don't want to get all choked up here on the show but uh, I have a tremendous amount of love and admiration for Nikki not just because she reached out to me personally in my darkest hour of need, but also because she makes uh, love and, and service and spirit uh, the priorities in her life. And it comes out in her music and it comes out in how she lives and how she carries it. And uh, we should all hope to have a little bit of Nikki inside of us. So... Without any further ado, um, we're going to let this Oops Upside Your Head ride out for a sec. And then uh, you'll hear 15 minutes with Miss Nikki Glassby from High Sierra Music Festival 2019. And then uh, I'll play a little Nth Power in the middle. Come back and introduce Nick. And we'll have two interviews back to back with the Nth Power. You're listening to the up for life podcast i'm your host b gets nikki glassby the nth power coming right up California, High Sierra Music Festival 2019, and I am very lucky and honored to be sitting here with Miss Nikki Glassby. What's yeah. happening, y'all? Yeah, yeah, really stoked you could squeeze us in. Yeah, of course. And, uh, I want to talk just a little bit about what goes on here. Like, yep. Uh, you are very busy. 
you're working with a lot of different artists here. You have really sort of deep roots with them. Yeah. So you're also working with Nth Power, and then you do the tribute show. Yep. So, you know, talk a little bit, maybe if you wouldn't mind, about how you approach that, where you have, you know, one set with a huge group, learn material for a special occasion, and then another set that is your, you know, your normal, regular touring yeah. gig. Yeah, I mean, we, I approach it the best way I can. That's <laughs> because it's, it's crazy, it's madness. You know, like uh, the band right now is a trio. And we did the Marvin tribute last night, and there were 11 people on stage, you know? Right. So we it was three plus eight. <laughs> we had eight extra members and all incredible, incredible musicians and just awesome. I mean, the way to approach that, I mean, it's just a, it's a big band, you know? But um, not, none of us, Nick... Nate or I are, you know, strangers to leadership, so it's really great, like, getting everybody together, you know? Yeah, yeah, and this was not the first time you did that gig, you did it in New Orleans. We did it in New Orleans, yeah, you were there. I was, yeah. Yeah, um, and it was, it was slightly different, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, it was different for sure, but I mean, it still had the same emotional impact. Yeah. You know, the first time we didn't know what was coming, Yeah. so it was just like a tidal wave, and, and this time, you know, wasn't surprises yet I was equally overwhelmed emotionally and the people I were with we had a really powerful experience and yeah. I think that that's like the brand within power yeah, is that, that kind of experience that is that is the brand you you, you hit the nail on the head is is that it's 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 about the emotional experience and it doesn't really matter you know who, you know the cast of characters in or out you know it doesn't matter that is still going to be driven home yeah. which is kind of like our overarching theme about the mission and love and what we're doing is that if I'm not here tomorrow that's still gonna go on right. you know what I'm saying Yeah. is that is like giving people the love and expressing it in that way the message is still gonna carry forth no matter who carries the torch it's a powerful message. It's like, I think that when you see you guys up there like that and you're performing and it's such a potent experience, like that's a lot of power to have over like humans. Mm -hmm. Just the way we walked out of there with our hearts in our hands. And, mm -hmm. like, you know, you guys were doing this kind of music with the message before like the current political climate. It's always been what you've been about. Mm -hmm. um, how did the end power like arrive? At being like so spiritualized and so charged. We're just like we're like-minded people so we would talk about issues, we still do, we talk about things and that just comes out in the music because yeah? what we believe in and what we want to change and what we hope for the world that's what's coming out Right and the, the timeless music that you played last night I mean, 30, 40 yeah. years old yeah. But those messages are, you know, resonate. Still, today. Correct. If you, if you actually, like, look at the lyrics of Inner City Blues, yeah. if you analyze those lyrics, you, you analyze the lyrics of Mercy, Mercy Me, you know? He's talking about... He's talking about pollution and, like, you know, the stuff that people are trying to ignore right now. You know, the, the state of... 
Mother Earth. Like, what, what is actually happening? It's dying. And we've been killing her. You know? And it's kind of... You know, it's a lot to to take in and really understand that, like, it's the same. You know, things have, like, progressively getting wor- gotten worse, but it's up to us to, like, try and do something about it. Right. You know? Which is, this, which is why we chose to, you know, cover him, as well as EWP and Bob Marley, because of the message. Yeah. Like, what were they saying? They were saying the same things they were trying to say now. Yeah, I mean, and you guys convey it with such conviction um, and sort of embody the artist. I'm lucky to have experienced the Earth, Wind & Power and the Marley and uh, to see the Marvin. And the band just inhabits these, you know, legendary artists, but it's not, um, you don't just wing it. It's such a production. And I guess that's what I was asking about. How do you approach it? Like, when you're stepping into those shoes. Yeah, I mean, it's just like... It's just like um, an actor or an actress, you know, when they take a role, they really embody the person that they're playing. You know, people will like train for a year, you know, to get a boxer body because they're playing a boxer in a movie, you know? And it's pretty much the same exact thing for us. You know, we internalize the music, we embody it, we try to connect and, and, um, understand like how the musician was feeling or the musicians were feeling and taking in what was happening at the time you know which that part is easy because it's the same for us you know what i mean it's the same in 2019 as it was in 1975 you know yeah which is unfortunate you know but that is we understand it so deeply because we want we want to change. We want to make a change, just as they did and did. They yeah. did, you know. Yeah. So those are some like really uh, impactful and potent catalogs when you talk about Earth, Wind, and Fire, Bob Marley, Marvin Gaye, cultural touchstones. Yeah. And I just am always just completely overwhelmed with emotion and and. The way I walk out of the live music experience is un- is really unlike any other artist that I've ever been a part of. And I'm not alone. I mean, not just in my group of friends, but, you know, we talked about it online mm-hmm. and I've written about it. And that's what I meant when I said there's a lot of power, like um, to consistently reach people yeah. and then to take that opportunity and to make it about messages and something that you could believe in because we're partying, we're having a good time. Yeah. A lot of dancing, you know. Yeah, and like, that's all great. Exactly. It is. But there's some serious shit. But there's some serious things that need to be talked about, addressed, and tackled. Right. Like, we actually have to do something. We can't, like, talk about doing something because there's just been talk. Right. You know, but it takes everyone getting together and even understanding because I know some people have asked me, well, like, what actually can I do? Right. You know? And it's just be the change that you want to see. Right? Right. If you don't want to see pollution, then stop polluting. You know what I mean? It's like, get a a water Mm -hmm. bottle. You have a water bottle. You know? It's just like, just simple little things like that, but it's not so little. Right. You know? Because the average human, I don't know how much waste we create on average. You know? So it's like, Let's try to waste less. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, Pretty simple. So yeah, just start with that. You effort. know what I mean? Make an effort. 
you know, get a stainless steel bottle and, like, keep it with you and fill it up with water. You know what I mean? It's, like, simple things like that that can really help. Right. You know, if, if you don't... And that's why I always say, like, if you don't want to get shot, don't shoot anybody. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like do, do unto others. Golden do, rule. Do unto others. Right. Golden rule. And it's, like, if we do that, mm-hmm. seriously, everyone does that then like we, we'd be in a much better place. And when you talk about what can I do, um, I pay attention to what you guys do. And I want to take this opportunity to talk about what you, uh, the work you do with the Harold Robinson Foundation. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's something where you're like, here's what I'm going to do. Yeah, What's that? That, that is something that we can do. We, we go and talk to kids and play music for them that like have no hope whatsoever. I mean, they live in the, the hood, they live in the ghetto and you know they a lot of them haven't even been outside the five block radius they don't even know you know about a lot just the world itself you know opportunities they don't know that um they don't have to be stuck in a cycle of poverty you know and in the cycle of poverty comes depression you know and violence and lots of other things uh lots of negative things that people have to deal with on a, on a daily basis. And these kids, like, can't even walk to school without being accosted by a gang or, you know, a drug dealer or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like the, the camp gives them an opportunity to see that there's a better way of life and that they have an opportunity or a chance to break the cycle, you know? Because there, it's that's the thing. It's like generational poverty. And, and when you haven't seen it or even know what it is, right. it's like you, you have no idea that that even exists or like that's a problem. It's a huge problem right. and a huge epidemic. And of course, it's largely, largely in the African-American communities and um, Hispanic communities, right. you know, largely, especially in California. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, it's like look, look what's happening at our borders right now, you yeah. know. And that is, like, really just unbelievably disgusting. It's like, we, it takes us to, like, change that. We need to. Yeah, we need to. So where is the camp? It's, uh, it's in Lake Hughes, California. Is that, like, Los Yeah, it's Angeles like an hour area? above Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah, it seemed like you've been doing fundraising for that. Yeah, fundraising, yeah. and uh, we go out there and do some of the retreats with the kids, and it's, it's really rewarding and, and awesome just to see them blossom or just spark. Just, it's just a different view. If they can see something else, then they can believe that they can do something else. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's powerful. And I just wanted to give people the opportunity to hear the work that you're doing there and hopefully they'll be curious and check yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. Harold Robinson Foundation.org. HaroldRobinsonFoundation.org, and it's it's really amazing work what they're doing, and honestly, like even five bucks makes a difference. Yeah. You can donate at any time, all the time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know shortly you're about to go on with Jen. Yep. Uh, second set for the weekend. Yep. Second yeah. second Jen set for the weekend. Yeah. Recently, uh, read something or heard her on a show where she said like uh, two people that she could be in a band with of all time. Yeah. And she put. Stevie Wonder next to the end power. Okay? <laughs> that's awesome. For real. And uh, I wanted to... Uh, All right. Right? And that's like a <laughs> that's really company, great. right? That's great. And 
you know, Jen was a crucial part of how the end power yes, came to be. Yes, she's the godmother. Right. She so is. So I just wanted to maybe, for the folks that, um, you know, don't know that, you know, you're playing with her here. Yeah. She's playing with y'all here. Yeah, she's all playing started. with us. Tax. Yeah. She's getting taxed tonight. It's going right. to be awesome. <laughs> well, we look forward to that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe just talk a little bit about what it's like to get up with, with uh, Nick here and play Jen's music and, like, watch her, you know, yeah, hold the Yeah, I mean, that's where, that's where it all started for us, like, our, our relationship. It started um, in Burlington, Vermont. I met Jen when I was playing with the Sam Kenninger band. Went to college, yeah. And uh, I met her through Dave Grippo. The truth. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, she introduced me to Nick when he was a senior in high school. And we played music together then with her. And then, you know, years later, years passed, I went and played with Beyonce and came back. You know, he went on tour, played with Big Daddy Kane and Jen, you know, obviously was out with Trey and a bunch of other people. And like, it was really cool to, you know, come back and be like, oh yeah. And I remember when we played like whatever, eight, 10 years ago. And then we started playing and it's like, it's just really amazing to play music with these people because they're incredible musicians but incredible humans yeah. you know and that's what all of this is about yeah each one of you individually is a force of nature like yeah. Nick you Jen Nate etc yeah. but collectively yeah and that's what I was and talking that's, about that's earlier the thing. it's that's overwhelming take. to be in a room but that that's the thing that's the one thing that I'd like to express to people and have them understand, right? Right. Is the sum is greater than its parts. Yeah. You know, it's like individually we are weak. Together we're strong. You know, and it's like so cliche, but it's real. And words to live you by. You know, it's words to live by. Like, I'm a better musician when I play with Nick and Nate and Jen. Right. Like, you know, there's no combination that sounds like that. You know? And Literally, and also, like, on a spiritual level, yeah. just when you guys come together and you hit those harmonies, like, it's, and you're singing the high part, you are, yeah. you know, it's just, it really, it's hard to put into words. I'm a words guy. Yeah. And I don't really have a <laughs> No, I know you're adequate. a wordsmith. Right. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Amazing wordsmith. I, I, I have a hard time conveying, you know, just how impacted people are, myself and, and many others, so, um, yeah, I guess you got to probably get to sound check. Yeah, shortly. yeah, I got to set right, up. So we'll yeah. wrap it up. I mean, yeah. we'll pick it up a little yeah, later. Yeah, let's tonight, pick it up but later. I yeah. Say, uh, thank you and uh, new Absolutely. album. It's called Reverence. Reverence. Yeah, Reverence. Reverence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right it's uh, yeah, it's amazing because Kofi is all over it. Oh, right on. Yeah. Well, we'll make sure that we get that link into the podcast. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. We'll we make will. sure. Um, so yeah, thank you very much. Absolutely, Nikki uh, Glassby, a full life bro. podcast. Love you too. Yeah, we'll, we'll go see you on stage now. All right.
You just heard uh, their song Reach Out from their forthcoming album. Uh, and now you're hearing in the background a little bit of one of my all-time faves, which is Walk on Water. Um, and Power's story is just a really uh, cosmic, beautiful, and just life. It's just really mirrored by their journey as a band. And their songbook really reflects about how I would want to live and how I try to live and how I want to love and be loved. And there's just a lot of strength and self love and love one another. I mean, just all these words to live by and themes and messages that really resonate deeply with me. And they come from these three musicians and their various collaborators. And, um, you know, the third party in the nth power nate edgar also a dear friend a fella of fewer words maybe one day we'll get him to come on the show but i've had uh, quite a few really choice conversations uh with nate as well but uh lucky to have nikki and nick on the show and now we're going to move into the casarino portion which is a little bit longer as we had a little bit more time and what I learned from Casarino is he's, he's a storyteller. So when I was asking him in the beginning and kind of uh, trying to get him to talk about the power of, of what they possess and the emotional connection they make and how they inhabit the greats and uh, perform and reinterpret and interpolate their music in such profound and passionate ways, he didn't seem like he was totally... Maybe he had just gotten off stage and he played like six sets for the weekend, so... I almost felt like I was putting him on the spot. But then when we kind of like transitioned into uh, him telling stories about playing with Trey and Jen and Christian McBride and then really got off on telling the John Mayer story from New York City. So those are at the end of the interview. And uh, he also somebody that I can't wait to sit down and retrace his career steps uh, because of my own experience living in Vermont and the mutual friends that we share and all the haunts that we both frequented at different times in our lives. And I have, I mean, just such a crush on Nicky Cake. The bottom line is, is just, he's just the man's man. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, just he just possesses something really special that uh, is infectious and intoxicating as a performer. And then he's just a good dude. You know, I love just to sit down and chop it up with him when he has the time and just talk. And that's what we did here. So, uh, yeah, I tried to get him to talk uh, about, I guess, how incredible they are, and he was less comfortable doing that. And then when I just asked him to tell some cool stories about some big shots that he, you know, he stood shoulder to shoulder with the giants of guitar with Trey and John Mayer, and that's no uh, easy feat. So uh, shout out to Nikki Cake um, for, you know, sitting down with me and opening up. And, uh, you know, the nth power loves you. I know the nth power loves me. Uh, I've never been more sure anything in my life. And if I wasn't sure, uh, even after I got the chance to talk to Nikki Glassby on the jailhouse phone, uh, when I got to Halloween after, uh, after my incarceration, it was really like kind of like a welcome home party. Thanks, Paul and Berg. Um, the Nth Power was playing at the Spirit Lake stage, and they welcomed me home. If you were there, then you know. But it was one of the most beautiful, special, and absolutely humbling moments of my life. I was totally unprepared for it, and uh, it just showed me uh, 
you know how the love is reciprocal and these cats really do walk on water although they're not comfortable talking about it <laughs> so with that let's get to nikki kate casarino on the upful life podcast live and direct coming from high sierra 2019 nick had just gotten off stage after melting the big meadow with jen hartswick uh, as a part of the Jen Hartswick band with Desron on bass and Nikki Glassby, Rob Marsher, uh, Natalie Cressman, uh, Nick's buddy Brian McNamara, who he talks about, and a few other special guests, including Skerrick, as I recall. It was just a wild one, you know, and High Sierra does it right every year. And uh, they have the good sense of inviting folks like Jen Hartswick and the Nth Power to come out and play their fest, and as long as they do that, I will be there waving the flag. So enjoy Nikki Cake, and we'll be back with the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week. And we are live backstage here at the Big Meadow stage. Hi, Sierra 2019. This is the Up for Life podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, and I'm super stoked and really lucky to be sitting here with Nick Casarino of the Nth Power and uh, Jen Hartswick Band and many other projects that I've come to know over the years. So thanks for sitting down and making some time. My pleasure. Indeed. Like, we've been trying to do this for a minute, and, you know, it's a festival like this is really hectic, and particularly this one. I'm going to get right into it. Like, it's a family affair for you guys. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the whole lineage from going back to Vermont with Jen mm-hmm. and then you guys back in Jen and the power mm-hmm. becoming a band and sort of coming full circle here mm-hmm. and you do these projects together. What's it like to have this, like, family come sort of, like, take over a festival and interconnect with so many artists? Man, it's super dope. Um I especially feel blessed because my boy Brian McNamara is here from Vermont too, um, alto player. So like this, having him here is like a full throttle family affair takeover. Um, it's really great because we're doing a bunch of different kinds of music. We're doing Nth Power original music, Jen original music, Marvin Gaye tribute, um, and other stuff. And the best part about having the family take it over is that everybody in the family is super killing at their job so it's like really fun and easy you know easy is like you know i don't know it's relative because i've been seeing you bouncing around from stage to stage i mean you've had you've been working with manic focus when you were here yeah manic was killing right right so jen um you did the you did the uh Nth Power tribute last night to Marvin Gaye. Mm-hmm. We have another set tonight with Nth Power. Mm-hmm. So you have to prepare a lot of music. Yeah, that's and, true. Right. So that's true. I'm saying easy. Is easy. Easy is relative. That's true. <laughs> well, I talked with Nikki a little bit earlier uh, with regard to inhabiting the artists when you guys take on such a catalog, such a cultural touchstone like mm-hmm. the lineage Earth, Wind, and uh, Fire, and then Bob Marley, mm-hmm. and now uh, Marvin Gaye with. Nirvana in the middle there. Mm-hmm. Um, these are iconic, like generation-defining artists with catalogs, at least for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nirvana, notwithstanding, like politically charged, totally and having a message and a uh, purpose. Totally. So, I want to maybe just ask a little bit about how is somebody like you who fronts the band, and you have to inhabit these iconic folks like Marvin Gaye, Bob mm-hmm. Marley. Um, how do you step into those shoes? 
man, just study, you know, just study. Um, all those artists I've been listening to my whole life, it's one thing to listen, it's another thing to play and, and, re and really, you know, listen on another level. Um, how do I embody them? I mean, the best way that is, the, the, the way that I can do it the best is by really just trying to sing the lyrics and sing the songs and all these artists wrote these lyrics um, that are that are important and that have changed the world so um, me just kind of trying to surrender to those words um, helps me deliver the performance better um, there's one thing definitely like not trying to do like tr not, not trying to be like them I got to be like me when I do it however while being studied enough to the point at which I can execute their parts accurately. But then the story is ultimately mine to tell in the performance. And, and that's, you just hit the nail on the head, like, you tell the story, man. And I, I've been totally taken aback by how powerful uh, the conviction behind your performances. I'm lucky to have seen these tributes a couple times each here, mm -hmm. New Orleans. And uh, it's not like something you just wing. I mean, yeah. you guys, it was a full production with yeah. lots of women on stage. This is a beautiful thing to see so many women yep. performing in the Marvin Gaye tribute. Yep. Um, I guess what I wanted to really ask is with regard to the performance last night with mm -hmm. the Marvin Gaye. Um, it's a really emotional music. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're out there leading the band mm -hmm. and also have to deliver the message. Mm -hmm. Do you ever like detached and go someplace like unconscious almost so that you could go there absolutely uh, if I'm lucky right. you know it looks like it yeah sounds good. yeah it um I mean a lot of these so, so when we put together these shows we usually we we rehearse for a while and, and, and run the songs and then we figure out different arrangements for ways to put the set together to deliver the most powerful punch and and in those arrangements I feel like is where the transcendent kind of goes to go to another place comes because that's where we have the uh, um, opportunity to really make it make it our own again um, musically um, so like sometimes the mixture of us being the nth power and putting that into these songs while pulling from the deep roots of these already existing music that's that's when the that's when the ship pops off yeah it does I mean we were standing out there last night and just electrified by your performance like of the whole band of course but like the way you led the band and just the, the conviction and the sort of this extra mojo or juice that you have. I and I think that, uh, you know, that's also present in, in performing with the end power mm -hmm. and with Jen Hartwick for that matter. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's a certain level of uh, spirituality and purpose and message behind the end power's music that's not just about the lyrics. I was talking with the gear, it's about really actually trying to reach people. Mm -hmm. um, you find that that rubs off into your own music, that, like the, the words of the Marvins and the, you know, the, the Marleys, like when you're delivering such spiritual music, original nth music? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, listening to that music for so long, and, and it, it definitely rubs off. Um, yeah, it's like those words. I mean, the thing that I love the most about so like I mean some of the best songs that I've that I've written 
have been written really quickly without any thought. So I'm in a point in my life where I'm trying to figure out how to always write from a place that's that's like no thought and just kind of go, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, I forgot I was, where I was going with that one. Well, that's what that, like unconscious, man. Yeah, you know what I mean. So even with your own music, it goes someplace that's you know unconscious. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, uh, you know, you do the tributes all the time, and they're the best in the business, and I'll, I'll say that, you know, nobody really prepares a performance like you do, mm-hmm. but truthfully, the magic is in the nth power music, Yeah. and uh, it's been a long and winding road, you know, and when we have a longer time to sit down, I would love to just talk about how, how it all came together, and how you got here, and things that you learned along the way, and so forth, but... Right here and now, you have a new album you prepped, mm-hmm. reference, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you're torn as a trio. So, w- what do you really uh, you see the, the difference? I'd like, just say in like the current approach or songwriting as a, a tighter unit. You know, you've been four, you've been five, you've had a, a different man, band members, mm-hmm. um, but now you're this like tight unit that's mm-hmm. always been there. And I hear that in the songs. Mm-hmm. I hear there's a certain sort of like aggression mm-hmm. and charge. Is that something intentional? Yeah, we were just trying to focus the vibe and really kind of start thinking about who we want to be as a band and who, how we want to identify and how we want to identify ourselves. And like, um, the writing has been more focused. Um, I feel like we've learned a lot from these past few records, writing with other people, writing as a larger group, um, what works and what doesn't. But like, I think this new album is really a demonstration of, of us coming to another level of self-awareness as a unit um, to the point at which everything else we've done is 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 good up to this point because it because it is what it is but this is like a step into where we're trying to go this new stuff right on yeah you can hear sort of like a new chapter mm-hmm. if you will and uh, I'm interested to see where that goes I mean, mm-hmm. I know you'll be doing a bunch of that tonight I would imagine in mm-hmm. the late night show definitely and uh you guys hitting the road again? Man, we got some. We got some. A few weeks here and there in August and September. Actually, in September, um, myself and Jen Hartswick, we have a duo project that we tour with, and um, we're gonna do a few co bills with the Nth. Um, so we'll do like a Northeast run where me and Jen are opening up for the Nth, which is gonna be really fun um, because just keeping it, you know, keeping it in the family. I mean, yeah, you can't get any more family. Yeah, they can't. And you know, I wanted to. Maybe just explore that a little bit, because that's what I open with, like what it was mm-hmm. like for you guys to take over something like this. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, that's just one weekend. Now you get to bring the, the magic, the stuff that like makes me cry yeah. when I hear and perform, when I hear you perform with Jen, mm-hmm. the duo. You know, the, there's such an emotional quotient to the music. Mm-hmm. So potent. Fucks me up, dude. Word. And I'm not alone. But to think that you now can take that energy, mm-hmm. like room to room, Mm-hmm. So you and Jen and like the whole Vermont lineage there, which I've, I, you know, went to school in Vermont. Dave Diamond's my boy. I was in a college band with him. Like yeah. I remember Brian from back then. No shit. You know, so it's crazy. And like when we sit down for the Nick Casarino story, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about all that. So yeah. shout out Dave Diamond. Yeah. But, you know, um, I just think it's so beautiful that like that has become this. And I remember like watching the live stream mm-hmm. of the gig that you played with Christian McBride and Trey showed up and like the level of excitement yeah. that was going through like the hardcore I love Trey yeah. I've been a fish fan for years but I was stoked for you yeah I was you stoked know? and Jen 
Yeah. And I was there when Diamond was in the band when Trey came and sat in with Jen's band at the Lions Den back in 05. Wow. Dave tipped me off. He's like, you're going to want to come to this gig. No shit. So, you know, just just watching that that whole story grow. Yeah. And knowing you like I do. Yeah. Knowing your music like I do. Like, yeah. It's really exciting yeah. to see that happen. And now I'm saying you can take that to rooms across the country. Yeah. And deliver all that. Yeah. I mean, like, it's like about... It's, it's a it's a weird balance I'm trying to find out you know I mean in life we're just trying to we're just trying to improve in life in all areas you know and like for me thinking about this and what we have um, it's like it's a fine balance of harnessing and and un and unleashing and like you know you can't ever fully harness this power of the, of the music and the power of of, of a story but you can harness yourself and your energy and I feel like that's where I'm just at a point in my life where I'm trying to learn how to really harness and take responsibility for the depth of who I am and like the depth of my where I come from and and because um, it's like we want to change the world and we want to and we want to help heal we believe in the healing power of music we want to help heal people but at the same time you heal yourself, you change yourself, you heal the world, you change the world. You know, it's like, and, and, and trying to figure out the, ba the balance of that has been, has been challenging, but exciting, because we're not gonna stop, so, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, we're right there with you, man, and it's the healing power of music. I mean, that's something that I've experienced with your band as much, if not more, than anyone. Word. And I have such an emotional relationship to the songs. And I think that that's something, you know, we're out here partying, mm -hmm. dancing, have a good time. I yeah. see you down at Jazz Fest. Yeah. You know, we know how to groove, yeah. and funky shit. Yeah. But when you can impact people, especially people like us who go see music all the time, yeah. yet I'm still walking out with my heart in my hands, yeah. know, in tears. And that's a that's a powerful thing. Yeah. And you are conduit for that. I yep. we was talking to Michael Burke the other day, and he was like, man, Casarino is my favorite. Like, not Burke. my favorite in the scene. My favorite, yeah. you know, and my friend Maria would say the same thing last night. She was like, "Putty, watching, you know, watching you guys all perform." But you, as a frontman, just uh, you, you carry like a special energy that's like touched. Word, and man. I want you to know that, like, you do it with a lot of honor. And like, when I ask you what it's about, it's about the message. It's about impacting people. Like, yeah. like I said, we can party all night. Yeah. But when you're doing that, like. That's real. That's some forever shit. Yeah, man, I live for it. It shows. Yeah. It bleeds out of you out there. Yeah. And one of my, I know you got, we got to give up the, the room in a few minutes, but uh, I have to ask, you know, we're talking about, you know, I had the little thing with Trey, with Jim. Mm -hmm. Not long ago, you had another random gig in New York City <coughs> where another guitar titan, oh, yeah, you know, John man. Mayer, rolls yeah. in. And I remember watching that on the live stream, like, motherfucking That was amazing. Cake. Yeah, so at first, just how'd that go down? All okay. right, so I play, so in in New York, I, I played at this place called The Village Underground, which is now the second comedy cellar. And um, they used to do music. I used to play there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday nights for years, four or five years. Um, and uh, the original comedy cellar is right around the corner. And when the Village Underground stopped doing music, um, we went around the corner of the original comedy cellar. And above the original comedy cellar, which used to be an old Israeli folk venue in the 60s, um, upstairs from that there's a restaurant called the Olive Tree Cafe. And in that restaurant, um, now, whenever I'm in New York City on a Friday and Saturday night, I always play there acoustic with some homies. So 
John Mayer loves comedians. He loves the comedy scene, and he knew the owner of the Village Underground Comedy Cellar Olive Tree Cafe. His name is Noam Dorman. Shout out Noam, what up? Right He's the man, amazing musician, uh, mandolin, guitar, amazing band leader. He's the truth, he pulls from a really deep well. So he's known John for, for years, and John used to come down and sit in sometimes. And so being on the road so much with the Anth, um, I've heard of times where he's coming to the Olive Tree and I wasn't there. And you never know who's gonna show up. Chappelle shows up all the time. Bill Burr was just there the other night. Um, all these great comedians. It's a sweet gig. Sweet gig, <laughs> it's, my, it's so awesome. And um, so I show up one night and Noam is like, Mayor's gonna show up at 11.30. And that's right when I start the second set. And I'm like, okay. Great. So I'm playing by myself that night. So I just play the first set, 9.45 to 11 or whatever, 11.15, take a break, come back out there, I'm getting ready to start the second set. Mayor walks in. First of all, he's fucking, he's tall as shit. He's <laughs> super tall. He's beautiful. I was like, damn, look at this guy. He's killing. He's amazing. Super tall. And I can see what the, I see what's happening. And like he sits in the back. The comedians have a table in the back where all the comedians hang out. So he's sitting back there. I play for like almost two hours straight. Um, I never. I'm looking back at him here and there, but I never. He didn't look up, and I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, and I was thinking about. I was thinking about like if I was going to talk to him, what I was going to say to him. I mean, this is fucking. This is John fucking Mayer. You know what I mean? And you know, O'Teal is O'Teal is family. He's like a brother, and him playing in the dead with John. I was going to talk to him about that, or I was just going to ask. Him, I don't know what I was going to do. But either way, he goes downstairs to the comedy show, and I finish. And I'm like, all right, well that's it. So the show's over. I've been playing for like four hours straight by myself. It's like it's all over. And. Um, the bathroom is in the comedy cellar downstairs, so you gotta go downstairs and take a leak. I go downstairs, I come back upstairs, and the manager's like, yo, Nick, will you please play this Joni Mitchell song, Case of You, which I have this solo acoustic arrangement for. And um, I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I've been playing for four hours already. Oh, it's, it's another one. So I play another one, and all of a sudden, like the vibe changed in the room, and everybody was really into it. They're screaming, Known the owner goes, play another one. And I'm like, all right, all right I'll play another one. I play Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson. Uh, I start playing it. <laughs> John walks upstairs from the comedy show and one of these great uh, comedians is named Sherrod. So shout out Sherrod. He, he, he's like, John, come on, man, come sit in. And he's like, no, no, no. he's like, come on, John, come sit in. So Sherrod comes and sits next to me over on my left and John comes up on my right. We already had an extra amp and guitar in case he wanted to. And um, he comes in in the middle of the song, in the middle of Man in the Mirror, right after the second chorus, right when it's gonna modulate up a half step. Yeah. Okay? I and love I'm, that part. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm getting ready to modulate, and I'm looking at John, and he's not looking up, and I'm like, okay. I was like, I'm gonna go. I was like, I'm going up, I'm fucking going up, I'm gonna do it. He's not looking up, and I was like, eh, maybe don't do it. Let's go back to the top and see what happens. So I take him back to the top, and he starts playing like a like a solo guitar melody, like like a, I just go, he's, he's going boom. And he's killing. It sounds fucking beautiful. And he's like, and he's killing. If we go to that part, then he's like, and he's fucking murdering. It sounds great. I'm like, that's killing. So then, after he takes it around, verse, pre chorus, chorus, then we modulate. Then he starts ripping. And then, um, 
and then we get to the end where it's like, I'm gonna make a change. It's gonna feel real good. And I fucking was like, yo, we're staying. We're staying here. We're sitting on this bitch. So I hold that shit and we stay there for a while. We build it up and then he started going some more, going some more, going some more. And then we ended and it was a big success. And um, Noel's like, play another one. And I'm, I'm like, hey, man. I'm like, hey, my name's Nick. He's like, hey, John. I'm like, yeah. And then, and then, and then, yeah, yeah, you're doing <laughs> fucking, and then, uh, and then he goes, and then John was like, I was like, you want to sing one? And he goes, yeah, and I know that this is kind of a played out, quote unquote, dead song or a song that everybody plays, but I love Friend of the Devil. I love that shit. It's my jam. It's like, I just I love those chords. That's, that's like my style of like bluegrass kind of stuff that I like, Americana folk. And so I start playing that. You guys gonna want to chill for a little bit longer? Yeah, just like five minutes. It's cool. All right, cool. cool. Just give me a head nod when you're all done. Gotcha, thanks. So, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you want to sing one? He's like, yeah. I was like, do you know Friend of the Devil? He goes, uh, man, I, I can't sing it. And I'm like, okay, all right, all right. And then I'm thinking about what he can do, and he doesn't come up with suggestions. And then I was like, how about we do a blues? Because I know he rips the blues. Right. And I sang as uh, B.B. King, How Blue Can You Get? And he f- murdered the blues solo. The thing on, I like on your axe. Um, nope, he was still playing, so we're both playing. Okay. No, the, the guitar he's playing is it your guitar. Um, no, it was Noam's guitar. Okay. And I and uh, the thing I love about his playing is that he's it's like a, he's a real guitar player. His guitar guitar player, like he's playing guitar, right. which is you know it's fucking awesome. And then so we finish that. He rips a solo, and then uh, they're like, do another one. And he's like, all right, I'll do one more. And. Uh, He's like, you know, ain't, ain't no sunshine, and I was like, yeah, man. And so he sang the shit out of "Ain't No Sunshine," and then I was like, all right, I'm gonna take a solo now because I was like, this is this is my gig, okay, yeah. first, right? And so, so I take a solo and we played, and it was good, and then we really we kind of connected, and it was dope. And then he was like, man, great playing with you. I was like, great playing with you, and then he left, and um, it was it was awesome. It was hilarious. The thing that blew my mind. Cause I've played with you know Trey yeah. and Chris McBride and some other, but some other you know more famous people. But he is famous, famous. Yeah. Like the phones, the way that the phones came out when he came in, yeah. and people like kind of caught close and they got weird. And it was kind of paparazzi-ish and like, yeah. like I mean I remember being in high school and his EP came out and then like he popped off and then you know he's on the cover of those magazines, all the supermodels and stuff. He was fucking famous. Yeah, huge. And now you know he's in the TMZ biggest, style. yeah, TMZ style. So that was really wild. But but he was he was really cool, real genuine dude and beautiful player and it was an honor. That's. A- Thank you. I didn't yeah. for taking me on that ride. It was crazy. Yeah. I couldn't fucking believe it. That's amazing, man. <laughs> yeah, like, I saw some videos and stuff, and just so proud. Yeah, and man. you mentioned something when you were saying about you finally took a solo, right? Yeah. And I noticed also this when you playing with Trey and Christian McBride. Uh-huh. Like, you, you're one hell of a guitar player, uh-huh. and those guys feel that. Yeah. And I see, you can see Trey's uh, body language and wa- watching you and yeah. while you were doing your thing, and now you're talking about John, and you're just like. I'm gonna take one. I mean, yeah. that's you're playing on the shoulders of giants, like yeah. titans yeah. Of, of this thing, you know, yeah. like this sort of universe that we all exist in here, in like festival world. Yeah, and you're just shoulder to shoulder with them. It's, Man, like, it's, it's a an honor thing. Yeah, it's yeah. an honor. Yeah, well, you really shine, and uh, I know we got to give up this room. So yeah, I, I love the mode you just shifted the gear into when we got into storytelling yeah. time. That I wanted this interview basically just to be about what you're doing here at the festival. Cool. But it was a little bit esoteric, if you will. Yeah. Next time we sit down, we're just doing storytelling. Storytelling. Story yeah, time. man, let's do it. Yeah, we're dope. Man. 
Well, dude, I really appreciate you giving the time. Love you, and B. We'll, yeah, love you, man. And we'll be seeing plenty of you when you're on the road. And we'll be supporting the end power. You know, I've had featured the end power on the show, just like played a song, told a story. Yeah, that's like a Marvin you, thing. You are dog, yeah, bro. I mean, you know, we're all we're all a part of the same gang. Word so, up. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this is the Up for Life podcast, uh, live from High Sierra Music Festival 2019, B Gets, Quincy, California, and we will see you next time. Large up to my man, Nicky Cake, Nick Casarino from the Nth Power, uh, for the time and the vine backstage at the High Sierra 2019. Uh, Nick is like the only cat that can still, in 2019, make the on-stage cigarette look fly. I'm looking sexy with it, even. I mean, my man has just got mojo for days. Um, and it was an honor and a privilege to sit down and rap with him. And uh, I look forward uh, to chatting with him at length about his whole career arc, taking it back to Vermont and all through the different uh, interesting uh, avenues that his career has taken him thus far. He is just one hell of a front man and a great human and a good buddy. And So thanks to Nick and thanks to Nikki Glasby. Uh, you know, just as such a joy to be able to host folks like that on the show and i look forward to future interviews and i want to give a shout out to my man nate edgar the third uh, member of the nth power bassist extraordinaire um one day maybe we'll get a few words with nate as well um moving on uh, we're gonna talk to my man clay mccabe uh, mr zips or king zips uh, of zipper rescue and an artist and a philosopher and a burner and just a really sweet man and a young fellow that i met back in the jungles of envision and we talk a little bit about how we came together in the interview but he also had a hand in uh, the one dome experiment and experience that i've spoken about on the show that has sadly closed its doors this summer uh, but was an ambitious and brilliant and ultimately ill-fated uh, endeavor and he had a key role in building that literally building it with his hands and the tools and materials and such so we hear from him the the interview was before it uh, closed and and ultimately uh, went out of business if you will the startup uh, one dome global so we were still alive although the the end was near when we had this interview, which was late spring. Um, although we didn't really say that on the air, we both kind of acknowledged that to one another off the air, that things were not looking good. But uh, nonetheless, um, it was just really uh, rewarding to sit down with him and talk about his life and his career. He's a really, really deep cat um, and well-traveled, well-read, well-spoken, introspective, intelligent, and he came over to the Vibe Junkie Studios while he was here in the Bay Area. Uh, he's uh, born and raised in, of Oregon and uh, lifer when it comes to the Oregon Country Fair. And he's an artist and he builds art installations and nature-inspired art. And also, he owns and operates Zipper Rescue. And I don't know anyone that's never had a busted zipper. But I don't know too many folks that can repair them. Um, but this dude's father, his late father, uh, created and patented this product, the Zipper Rescue product. 
And uh, as Clay talks about in the interview, he sort of took the reins from his mom and has made it sort of a festival staple. And he is a uh, celebrity of sorts in the festival community because of the hundreds and maybe even thousands at this point people he's bailed out you can imagine being at a event a festival or uh, something of that nature and the zipper fails we've all been there one way or another and we've all uh, had that experience and just kind of like these are the breaks but uh, enter mr zips so i've seen him hold court on the playa at burning man and oregon eclipse where he's just, you know, saving cats. You know, busted tent zipper, boot zipper, backpack zipper, you name it. And uh, he's just a real humble dude. And I want to see him win. I mean, he's already winning in life. Because if you knew him, you'd understand. But outside of that, uh, I want to see him uh, in abundance through his business because he's just great intentions behind it and a lot of reverence and respect for uh, cultures that have come before him in the festival world and community that we experience together and I just he's a bit younger than me but I I admire Clay and almost like look up to him in some ways so I always uh, had the intention of bringing him on my show at some point and the situation presented itself. So since I have these kind of shorter interviews with the end power, I thought I would throw this roughly 30 minute interview with Clay. And I know he's not somebody that many of you have heard of or know of, but I ask you to just trust my judgment here and, and listen into this really revealing and just awesome powwow between me and this dude, Clay McCabe, Mr. Zips and check him out on Zipper Rescue. You just Google it. He mentions the website on the interview as well and you can find him on facebook and uh also want to take this opportunity for any of the folks that were part of the one dome experience and experiment and say thank you uh it ended uh prematurely and abruptly um but it was one hell of a ride while it lasted and i was honored and and blessed and privileged to be a part of the team for the short time that i was so with that um Please enjoy the One Dome discussion because it, there's, there's plenty to be gleaned from uh, what we did there and certainly from what Clay was a part of. So coming right up is Clay McCabe from Zipper Rescue and then uh, the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week to send us off on episode 21 of the Up For Life podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. Here comes Clay. All right, we're live here in Oakland, California. This is the Up for Life podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, and I'm here with my dear friend, Mr. Zips, Clay McCabe. Welcome to the podcast, and thanks for coming by on this fine evening. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's been a, a long-awaited powwow, this right here. Indeed. We've talked about it for some time, and uh, it's kind of serendipitous that we cross paths at One Dome. 
Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you had some time there before uh, I got hired, so we didn't really cross paths. But I've talked a little bit about One Dome on the podcast, so just as a jumping off point, uh, what was your role in, in bringing that project to fruition? Um, so Roxy, who's Becca's kind of co-creator assistant through the project, um, reached out to me just like early fall, right before they started building in the space. And, um, she knew me as, you know, an artist and creative builder from years of doing festivals alongside each other. And, um, they were looking for somebody to kind of manage like the internal art build out of the space for liminal and um they reached out to me and just kind of last minute i just decided to jump down there and um i took on like build lead role for like their internal everything that the contractors that were just doing the drywall and basic foundation for the space um we just kind of like did all the finish work You just kind of dropped everything and moved down here? Pretty much, yeah. So you had to have a lot of faith in the people that were asking. Yeah, it was definitely a leap of faith. And, like, there was a lot of learning, and it was was challenging just because of the timeline and the sheer amount of, like, square footage that that space was, you know, to build that from the ground up in three months was just, like, people don't do that in San Francisco. That's, like... Insane, you know. Yeah, that's right. So, what was the square footage? I'm curious. I think it was like ten thousand square feet, right all on. told. You know, and they it started with like two big corridors that were just marble, like faux marble floor and painted walls, and we turned it into a maze of crazy art rooms. You know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've talked. Like I said, I've talked about it a little bit on on the show. We're gonna have Becca Dakini come on and talk about maybe like her vision and how she got involved but I was just blown away when I kind of was connecting the dots and like was asked to come in for an interview and was getting the 411 from her and and AJ and Milton Mm -hmm. and just everybody that was behind the project it's like the network of uh, you know the festival family that I've come to know and love over the past you know seven-ish years of my life and that's how I know you Mm -hmm. and that's why we wanted to have this conversation is to sort of connect a lot of those dots and yeah you're one of like the most interesting cats that i've come across in this life out here you know we've had some really awesome conversations mm-hmm. and I, I admire what you do and like what you built you know literally and figuratively and i think it would be of interest to the people that listen to the podcast to just shed some light on you know your path and how you picked up this you know crazy skill set that you can touch so many people's lives and and um, if you remember when we met, it was in the middle of the jungle at Envision. Oh, um, yeah. And I had some kind of problem with a belt, and I went up to my friend Jared, who I know from, like, Bear Creek and Spirit of Swanee, the leather worker Jared from Lost Sailor. Yep. And he, for whatever reason, couldn't be bothered to help. He had, like, some... Sh- didn't want to deal, and he just, like, marched me over to your shop. <laughs> and that was when I met you. And uh, yeah. he fixed whatever the problem was, but... Oh, uh, it's when you introduced me to you know the zip zipper repair, and uh, I watched for the rest of that festival and pretty much any other time I've been around you, just how uh, essential and effective the what you do and the service you provide and and the product you make and distribute, how it just you know is 
essential, basically, the uh, best way I can put it. Um, everyone who's listening, anyone been to a festival, been camping, been to school, had a backpack, had a piece of luggage, has had a zipper fail. Mm-hmm. How did that become your thing? Well, so my dad actually started the zipper business um, from, so back in the 80s, he had a canvas shop and he repaired and made canvas goods for people in McCall, Idaho, little town, you know, and he just did that for about 12 or 13 years and through all of the experience he's had with people coming in with broken zippers on their stuff because you know he's got sewing machines and does repairs so naturally people just bring him their broken zippers and he basically figured out that most zippers fail simply just because the little metal piece called the slider that you slide up and down it's is that piece wears out and then the zipper doesn't close when you zip it and that's like probably 80 plus percent of all zipper problems are strictly because of that little piece and um you know he figured that out after tearing out a sleeping bag zipper completely and then replacing the whole thing and then he was like ding 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 like why doesn't this why isn't this common knowledge you know and so he he created the first zipper repair kit called the zipper rescue kit and and then the rest is history you know he what year was that that was 93 in 93 yep so so civilization had no antidote for the broken zipper until 93 i mean there was like a couple like dritz made this gadget that was like you know hit or miss but like it was a very uncommon like concept even and there had only been a couple products that were like didn't really take traction because they weren't that great um so you know he he started distributing kits and like joanne's was a big distributor for us before they copied our kit and stole the idea from us but that's how it goes you know um and what you know made our kits special is that the customer service that's provided for people who need help you know we had like a hotline that people could call Right. And this is pre-internet. So yeah, it's like, pre-internet. How do and I then, do this? You pick up the phone, 1-800. Boom. Right. You know, and uh, and then, you know, then you get into the internet and email support and all that, you know. So so I grew up around zippers from a very early age and was in there making kits when I was young. You know, I was standing on a bucket, like, making zipper kits. And um, that was just kind of second nature to me. I didn't even, I kind of took it for granted because it was just part of my life and um, years later he so he passed away in 2003 and um, my mom took over the business he he left us an amazing business you know and so she took it over and she wasn't a businesswoman so she just kind of it was just coasting for a number of years and um after traveling for me like that was when it hit me as i was traveling around central america and people had broken zippers and you know that's a real hard place to have your backpack zipper break Uh, like you can't replace your osprey backpacking backpack in central america very easily so um I, i came home from that trip and was just like 
I need to like take this thing and bring it to the next level because it's a serious practical like simple thing that everybody yeah. needs you know um, so I took over the business about four or five years ago now I've been running it myself and yeah I feel like you were just stepping into it when we met yeah this is why we had this like deep kind of thing because you, you dropped that on me yeah um, back then like this is what I'm about to do and I was like I want to help you mm-hmm. I want to spread the word and that's how like the idea for this right now was born because I was I had the holy shit moment like I can't believe that you know you're the guy that can fix this and like I would watch just the lines of people you know at the festivals and Burning Man yeah we'll get to that but I mean it was just an amazing like you know light bulb that went mm-hmm. off that I was and I just you need to be winning you should be winning you're like what you're doing is of value to so many and it's so simple um how did you uh like when you can you're okay so you're in central america and you're come to the epiphany that i need to get behind this Mm -hmm. how how did you get from that to being like a festival vendor Um, did you grow up around festivals or oregon county fair yeah all right let's talk a little bit about that so oregon country fair is definitely like was my first experience in the you know community gathering music and what have you so i don't even consider it really a festival it's like its own special thing how's it different well i mean it's based around craftsmanship and artisans selling their crafts you know started a renaissance fair and uh and it's evolved into this just huge gathering of people that are you know there's all kinds of different performance acts and people you know tons of food and there's like 800 booths of like handmade crafts and vendors you know so this is its 50th year coming up here it'll be a 50th anniversary and we're it's going to be pretty cool to see like I bet. it just hits deep history and it's just like you know little fireside jams and just like super family oriented so it's it's a cool place to grow up, and I and I that was where I got introduced to creative building, because you go out there and it's like, well, let's build a fence and let's make it like, however you want to build a fence. It doesn't have to be vertical boards. Let's make a you know sun spread fence, and then you start doing other crazy stuff, and it's uh, it's a really cool place to learn. So I spent years working on construction crew there, and the invitation to just go crazy and do whatever the hell you want is really like a thing there and uh and so you know from there then you start going volunteering at other festivals and building on build crews and and just that evolved into it was my summer months were spent working on festival sites for months at a time some sometimes and uh you know, then I'm in the support role of artists and, you know, building the structures and the, the infrastructure for them to do their performance and have their art be seen. Um, and then, you know, alongside that, the desire to create and share, because being a builder, you can build simple things or you can build wacky, awesome things, you know? Um, and so I've grown into you know, more than just building the infrastructure these days, I like creating art to bring to festivals and beyond, you know, and that's like 
permanent permanent places like one to home you know like that evolution of like from temporary to more permanent and still having the like community and the culture of exploration and curiosity being like at the heart of it all so you so you basically kind of got on the sort of west coast festival scene as a builder so you might uh what are some of the you build symbiosis symbiosis uh, lib lib okay Um, And you're talking about, like, the stages and stuff with the huge projection map. Yeah, stages or just general operations or, you know, there's so many little random tasks that go into building out a city that's going up for a weekend, you know? Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I've I've seen most all the aspects of, like, production operations side of festivals, and it's fun, and it's a great community. Like, I like to be a part of the team that builds something like that and yeah, whether that camaraderie in those, yeah. in those crews i've noticed and definitely and that's the type of thing that delivers you a gig like one dome is because you know, like the folks that you built a lot of that they know what you're capable of they know how you work yep. they know how reliable you are and like you know your, your work ethic so when they get a budget like one dome got and for liminal um they're entrusting you with a lead role because they've seen you like work under the worst circumstances with like yep. no sleep in the middle of the, the desert with half of what you need to accomplish it and and true colors come out right. there <laughs> that's when i said it you're one of the guys i want to talk to is because i i know you like that and i know how you deliver like that and you know your reputation precedes you if you will and uh yeah i, I was really blown away when i was uh at, at burning man a few years ago and you had a shop in the man base of the year of the da Vinci year. Mm-hmm. Now, how, you know, that's not something that an artisan comes by easily or with little luck or effort. Mm-hmm. So if you're comfortable doing so, how did, how did that come to be? And how did you, uh, you know, sort of artistically wedge what you do as Mr. Zips into because it's like a you know decommodification, so you right. know, you're not. It's not a business thing. No, you framed what you do into an artistic lens. Yep. That, you know, the org co-signed. I mean, that's pretty magic, man. So yeah. So well, it was so it was kind of unofficial, and um, what I you know my friend who works for the org, she has seen what I do, and also is like like you just loves it wants to support me however she can and help because it's i've fixed her shit and it's her friend's stuff and it's just like um so she actually hit me up and she's like dude you have to be out at the man base this year like this is perfect da vinci's workshop like this is you need to be there and so she connected me with some folks that were had a booth out there already and you know just because i don't take up much space it's not like this huge thing it's just a little table and some knowledge being shared and things being fixed, you know? So, um, I ended up getting on with another crew actually out there in a roundabout way and like helped them kind of set up their space. And then they just let me put the table out in front, you know, because what's not to love. And that's just like anybody who's been to Burning Man knows that that's a hugely valuable thing. And so, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't on the books. Nobody knew it was going to happen. That's it was totally matter. just a pop up like boom, here we are. And by the time 
by the time Friday came around, people were like, I mean, BMIR did a shout out. Yeah. And like everybody, there was this like buzz across the city that people were like, oh, dude, there's a super guy out of the man, you yeah, know. Yeah, and I was knew you were there. the best like, part about it. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that whole time at Burning Man, I, the best moment, I was like, I was sitting out there watching the pyramids burn. And, you know, it was like the pyramids burned and it was awesome. And we were sitting next to this group. And I, literally, the chick's sitting behind me and her you know she's like oh my zipper you know like blah blah her like jacket just busted right then and the, and i'm sitting right next to her and her friend's like oh there's this dude out of, he's at the man you gotta go see this dude and i'm just sitting there like oh my god That's like are you great. fucking kidding me and so i turned around and like fixed her Blew zipper right there they're all just like what That's so burning like, it was like, so the good person is next to you that can yeah totally That's money so you know it was just super fun and like by the end of it i was i mean fingers were raw and it was just like there was so many zippers we probably fixed 150 200 zippers on friday like it was just oh, wow. crazy yeah um shop was closed when i came by yeah i left you a note but yeah i saw you I, when i ended up seeing you it was like i think it was on the white white morning you know like mm-hmm. praxis. yep and uh yeah, you just like, you couldn't. We couldn't really get a combo in because like every two seconds somebody would come up. Right. It's like, oh, there he is. Oh, there he is. And we were just trying to kick it that morning, yeah, yeah. but like word got out that the zipper guy was over there. You know, the one with the gap tooth smile. That's him right there. Yep. And uh, I don't know. It was a funny morning, man. But then, yeah, you know, that's when I knew we had to do this because you had really reached this sort of like cult celeb status. And it's just so not you. You're like the lowest profile guy. I know. Yeah. But no, yeah, it's, it's funny. Amazing. There's a lot of people who know there's a different guy out there. Mm-hmm. And I like I meet people very often that are like, oh, you're the fucking zipper guy. What the <laughs> heck? Like, <laughs> and they just know because I mean, once if I meet somebody and they have an interaction with me around zippers, like I've been told numerous times that, that they just never think about zippers the same again. And it's, it's kind of a cool thing that yeah. it's like something so small that like it really sticks with people. Yeah. Well, before we, I don't want to switch topics totally because we're going to bring it all together, but how do people, you know, find you and find your product? Yeah. So I've got a, the website is the best place. Cause you have like, all the resources right there to kind of make sure you're on the right track but it's zipperrescue.com easy Uh, enough yeah that's it and um you know we're our kits are on amazon but obviously it's better if you just buy them through our website because it has there i made like a zipper wizard that'll basically diagnose your problem make sure it can be fixed and then um it'll point you to the right kit so you get like a kit with a, the right kind of parts to fix your item, and um, you learn you learn the skill. So. Yeah, this my lovely lady to my left here. She is an expert with the zipper rescue kit. She nice. has played hero more than a couple of times. That's I have, we actually have to get another kit from you because we've pretty much gone through almost all of them. Yeah, I'll look and, you up, uh, dude. But yeah, man, I, you know. One thing that I noticed when you were, I think it was either social media or something where, you know, you mentioned that there were other brands that had ripped you off or whatever, and there's these like cheap imposter versions of what you do. But if you look on Amazon, it says customers ultimately bought. 
and yep. it's always zipper rescue <laughs> totally right yeah it's gotta be proud proud no you it's know, cool i mean good. like there the that's the beauty of amazon i think like there's a lot of ways that damn amazon is like demonized these days because it's of course you know yeah we don't even go into that but like at the end of the day for me i wouldn't have a business if it wasn't for amazon right on and you know i mean i may have a business in brick and mortar if they weren't crushing the brick and mortar industry <laughs> but nevertheless like yeah. you know they're supporting me completely yeah. and it's because of the customers and how many customers we help and then they turn around and give us a rave review because we just solve their problem for them and like you know, I'll spend 10 minutes on the phone with somebody just to help them figure out why something's not working or like, oh, you were trying to use the wrong size and like go through all that stuff. And that's like, you can't compete with that. Well, because that's something that's not available anymore. Like my dad did business like that. Sold furniture, come out to the house and like make sure everything was right. You know, mm -hmm. even into the 90s. So I, I, that, that used to be the standard. Oh, yeah. And now you're exceptional. Yeah. providing that service it's just and amazon's a big part of and just like the way the business model yeah. doesn't call for that the budget to have a human on the phone but yep. since it's your name and your business and like and it still pays dividends you know even now totally no people that get the service sometimes that are maybe they call expecting that i'm like a big company or something right. and it's literally just me or you know i've recently had my friend Anna. she's been like helping with customer service and i finally trained her like all the little ins and outs because when you go through it it actually like there's some stuff to know like sure. you can get by on the basics but then when there's some tough stuff that comes up like i got some tricks up my sleeve that like i've had to like try to slowly extract that into a manual and make like flow charts that help somebody plug in because otherwise i'll be doing it forever you know and i like um I like talking to people. I like doing customer service, but it is it is a job that takes up time. Right, and, and you got your hand in a lot of other things. Yeah, you can't always be on call. Totally, but that customer deserves that that human interaction. Yep. That if it's not you, then someone who best can yep. provide that. And I kind of stay on backup, you know, just in right. case somebody. <laughs> there's some really tough stuff. You're like, I'm there. You know, you can always reach out to me directly and just they pass me the head scratchers you know right oh yeah that's good you know to know you're just a phone call away i just wanted to you know finish up a little bit and bring it full circle is uh you know you've been doing a lot more artistic stuff i seen you at one dome talking like the, the tech side of things with you know some of the installations that you brought down with like the mushrooms that you put out mm -hmm. um and then if I'm mistaken, I saw on social media uh, a while back you had like an installation, some sort of freestanding art piece in the Oregon somewhere, right? The seahorse. A seahorse, okay. Yeah. So you're putting a lot of energy into creating from an artistic standpoint now, both digitally, technologically, and also like art installations. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you grew up in the, in the Oregon uh, Country Fair, sort of craftsmanship zone if you will mm -hmm. um maybe flesh that out a little bit like how did that part of your life and path really blossom you know yeah so i mean it definitely has been it all started for me at the country fair and i started doing art installations for fair and like first i built i built a a giant lotus flower and um 
and then we built like a seven foot diameter owl face and like hung it in a tree you know and um it's just yeah I mean once I spent quite a bit of time just building like regular construction and that once you have those skills it's like all right well what else can I do that's not straight lines and 45 degree cuts you know um and so I like the fabrication side more than anything like I like wood and metal steel and copper both are really cool elements and so I've kind of like gotten stoked on bringing together different types of mediums and creating entities of sorts you know whether mostly I think it's pretty much all been nature derived for me like creating large scale sculptures that are of nature or some kind of natural world <laughs> what do you um, think the root of that is why, why do you go there for like the muse man I don't I think we're just so disconnected from nature these days that and you know if anything to kind of bring us back to our natural environment is as healthy and like that's just what feels natural to me um we'll see where it goes you know it's going to be constantly evolving and i mean the mushrooms that we just made for one dome are like they're crazy complex yeah, <laughs> they're, talk about that a little bit what, they're what like into that what are they made of they're made of fiberglass pretty much entirely like there's a steel frame and then the whole mushroom is fiberglass because it's one of those when you make public and interactive art it has to be pretty much bomb proof like children children are destructive forces that don't understand why you wouldn't you know even adults i mean i've seen like one thing and broken yeah it's broken like three times it's broken right now you know because it's acrylic and like i could have made these mushrooms out of acrylic and like had them blown up like balloons without of acrylic you know but um it's pretty darn hard to break fiberglass so that was kind of and I've I haven't done a lot of fiberglassing at all nothing like this before this was like a total new dive into a different medium that was completely foreign so you know that's part of the reason why I do art is to learn about different mediums and like bring bring people together with different skills and just it's it's a great way to explore um so that's kind of like my chosen way of learning in the physical world is like how am I going to make a mushroom cap and then like make it strong enough but then it's still hollow and it's going to light from the insides and you're going to have like minimal shadows of a framework and all this this problem solving you know it's like brain gymnastics and and it's super fun and then there's a huge reward at the end when you finish this crazy thing um, so we bring joy to people. Yeah, so I mean, it it's brings them back to their childhood state, like, right. and so you know. But it'll it, a lot goes into it, and because I'm a craftsman, even like almost more than an artist, like the craftsman is kind of like driving the process, and the artist is like peeping through every now and then, being like you know like let it be art you know the craftsman wants like perfection and exact things to be a certain way when you see it this way like you need to execute it whereas the artist will like 
let the thing flow and it's okay that's fine if it didn't work like that way and you just kind of move on you know and that's to me that's like awesome. the that's to me like and the difference between yeah it's <laughs> interesting how like different people just kind of tend towards one or the other and i'm i'm still working to like find the balance because sometimes when you get commissioned to do something and you spend as much time as you want to spend to make it as perfect as you want it to be then you're like getting paid five dollars an hour at the end of the day and you're like oh maybe i should learn how to like let things be a little less perfect and just move through it you know right um so but it's a balance and i really like getting into the details because on on a large scale there's a lot of times the details just kind of get left out because you're focused on how big something can be or you know so like bringing like a fine art like almost like jewelry like quality of craftsmanship to something that's like 12 feet tall is pretty fucking rad you know yeah. and it, and then blending the different materials and having people with different skill sets come in you know my buddy Yona he does all the lighting and the, and the tech behind the lighting you know he's a programmer like a professional programmer and he has a company called Light at Play and he does like incredible stuff from scratch you know like making the lights do what they're gonna do is like done in code form you know and he's like writing programs to run the lights and it's incredible like working with somebody of that caliber that's passionate and wants to do that like one essential part and is just a master at it you know and so art is such a good way to like bring those different kinds of people together around something that's like larger than any one of us could do by ourselves you know because i could i could make some fiberglass mushrooms but if you were like all right and make them touch sensitive with an infrared camera and map that infrared camera to like all of the lights in their point in space and have them do animations when you wave your hand over them that's like i can't do that you know but you know some but some I know somebody can. who can who's right. as crazy as I am and loves to do this stuff and uh, and that's pretty cool you know like there's not a lot of things that can cause that kind of convergence um, and so I've been doing it for years without a paycheck at the end of it just to do it we made that seahorse last summer for country fair and there was like four of us kind of off the bat and then that snowballed into you know, probably 15 plus different people had their hands on it, like in a solid way, you know, Right on. and we had blown glass horns and eyes and like copper chests with like patina and like hand carved wood panels all down the backside. You know, it was like this hollow, like glowing creature. Where can people see some photographs? They're going to hear this incredible uh, description. Yeah, like the McCabe, McCabeArt.gallery is okay. my website that people can go. There's some different photos from starting from the Lotus up till now of like right on. the big ones. Um, so that's, yeah, there'll be more things popping up on there down the road. All right. And for now, like... The seahorse and the phoenix are both sitting in crates, waiting for a nice home. So you oh, know, right they'll be they'll find a home. Yeah, I think I was there. Was, there was talks about bringing the seahorse down at one dome, but we'll see. Maybe it'll. You know, I'm gonna 
hit up the Monterey Bay Aquarium or something and see if they want to see yours for a little yeah, while, you know. Awesome. Um, so we'll see where it goes. But for now, it's just kind of like a, a fun, creative thing in my life that brings people together and is challenging, learning. And I'd, eventually I'd like to see it become sustainable monetarily that like I can pay for my friends to do what they love you right. know and be able to have funding to like take it to the next level well let's hope you know you're putting it out into the ether right now you're speaking it and mm-hmm. you know I see how you connect with people I see the work you do and how people respond to it so I don't see why not you know from your lips to jaw ears as they say mm-hmm. man that was deep you know? yeah and I'm so stoked that uh I asked you a few of those questions because to hear you articulate it like that is just really inspiring and uh, I hope it resonates with the folks out there that listen as much as it does from two feet away. So thank you for, you know, opening up like that. My pleasure. Um, So it's uh, Mm zipperrescue.com and mccabeart.gallery. Right on. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll put some hyperlinks onto the on the website that goes with the podcast, so people can click away. But yeah, man, um, I look forward to catching up with you, seeing you down the road. I know we'll crisscross. No doubt. Uh, festivals, one dome. Yeah. We'll we'll come up to Oregon one of these days again. So we'll make it do. happen, man. But thank you for coming over the bridge, and for taking some time to kind of tell your story on my show, man. It's an honor and a privilege. Yeah, man. Thank you for doing what you do. Right on. Well, the signing off from Oakland. This is the Up for Life podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. We'll see you next time. And that's going to wrap it up for episode 21 of the Up for Life podcast. Large up to my man Clay, Mr. Zips, for coming through and the thoughtful interview and the hang here at the Vibe Junkie Studios. Stoked to uh, be in your orbit, homie, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. But check out Zipper Rescue, and if you got a busted zipper, you know, it's fixable. And uh, there's a lot of good vibes behind what my man is doing in that business and with his art and otherwise. So check him out. Clay McCabe, Zipper Rescue, Mr. Zips. Want to thank the Nth Power and uh, specifically Nikki Glaspie and Nick Casarino and of course Nate Edgar. And we're going to move on to the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week. There's a reason why I'm playing Liquid Swords, and that's the Jizza uh, off his 1995 album by the same name. But it's an interpolation by the rapper Rhapsody. Uh, which features Jizza and none other than R&B Jesus himself, D'Angelo. Um, not sure how you pronounce it, but it's the name of the song is uh, spelled I-B-T-I-H-A-J. It's an Arabic name uh, that is a tribute to the first female um, who wore Islamic attire when uh, competing in the Olympics. And uh, so that's her first name. And... The song borrows from Liquid Swords, the beat and sample, um, but D'Angelo sings the uh, timeless chorus, and 
the Jizza hops on for a verse at the end, and Rhapsody holds her own shoulder to shoulder with the Giants. I really love this track. Um, I saw it when I got out of bed on Friday, heard it, watched the video, which is great. Lots of really important, profound messaging in the video imagery-wise. And of course, the track is dope. So we're going to play that from Rhapsody and uh, large up for uh, the Liquid Swords interpolation featuring D'Angelo and the Jizza. And that'll do it for episode 21 of the Up For Life podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, signing off. And we'll see you next time. Now when the MCs came to live out the name And to get you perform some head Some cocaine, that same To perform big rock it all Now all of the mental planes Spark the brain with the building to be born Boy, boy you sharp boy Look at the face on you boy Ooh boy you look with swords on your head boy yeah. Back in the days yeah. when niggas wore fades, soup tied caps, yeah. just trying to get you away, trying to get you away, trying to get you away. Thinking like back in the days yeah. when niggas wore fades, soup tied caps, just yeah. trying to get you away, or you trying to get you away, trying to get you away, or you sure like long time come, long time someone swarming with the bees. Words in the key of the peace In the long time coming Has someone swarming with the peace Words in the key of the peace when the MCs came to live out their name Inscribed in the halls and the walls of fame Balancing life, wrote both the yin and yang Hands buried a man and they raised the son Lorraine That's a play on words, they say herb ain't all the same Slaves in prison and they some unchained While everybody in my gang is star DJ Prame Screaming through the sunroof, money still ain't a thing While I'm spinning small bank, asking where's my change Carpool with the homies, saving gas in my tank I think like a billionaire, I spend less than I make Strong mind that I should bench way more than my weight Women been leading the way Since Roxanne Shantae And the unit had flavor And Jay had Marcy neighbors that wave Looking confused, I'm like, cool Maybe it's age When I see Afro puffs, I think maybe it's rage Maybe it's stage, they tripping and they say they got beef Ain't an MC on this earth that make me feel afraid Wu-Tang for the children, that's a scripture and phrase See my goals from a bird's view like Trey Underage so cocaine, when I'm so off the radar, it's very hard to find me. In space, they selfie with the earth behind me. You follow the leader, the track is off the meter. A lot of rap is weak, low frequency in the tweeters. Very inaudible, clock radio speakers. Quietly whispering is a world of WikiLeakers. Forget the guardianess, my method is nauseant. Transferring ideas into the brains of the audience. The street poet gave the special art form. A global reach, you earn your ears in your heart by giving a local speech. We even wonder what words is potent as a sorcery. Not witchcraft, but illicit terms. 
in the glossary Well written rap, bound to have a great impact On a listener, for the fact, it's well intact An MC should electrify, beautify, strive to Empower, inspire, transform a worldview Back in the days yeah. when niggas wore fades yeah. Suit tie caps, yeah. just trying to get you wave Trying to get you wave Trying to get you wave Thinking like back in the days yeah. when niggas wore fades yeah. Suit tie caps, just yeah. trying to get you wave Trying to get you wave Trying to get you wave